Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? Man, I love worship. Like, like I just love when, when, when we're pouring our hearts out to him and, and everybody's joining their voices together and worshiping him. Uh, don't, don't miss that, that. Don't just worship who God was and who God will be. Don't just put off enjoying him for a day that's coming or remember him in a day that was. But make sure that every single day, like I'm living in enjoyment of who he's made me to be and what he's done and who he is and his promises over my life. And I believe his promises to the point where I can't help but they change me. Like I can't help it. If I know a promise I have from God, then I have to live as though it's true now even though I'm still waiting to see it come to pass. That's, that's what faith does. Faith isn't like, well, I, I, maybe God will, maybe God won't, and my life is subject to the ups and downs, right? Like, how many of you have ever been waiting on a promise, and every time there was something good that came, man, you were so excited. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but then the, when, when something came that looked like it was coming against that, it's like, oh, my, where, God, where are you? And it's like his answer is, I'm, I'm right here. I, I didn't come with that, and I didn't leave with that. It was your heart. It was with that you remembered me. And with that you forgot, you thought that I forgot about you. And it's like, man, we could get off the roller coaster of life if we would learn to anchor ourselves in his love like Steve was talking about in the beginning. We would get off that roller coaster. We would stop living so up and down. We would stop living so sensually, so, so driven by our senses and our feelings if we would actually be anchored in the love of God. And then guess what? Your feelings would serve the purpose he created them for. It would be so that you could experience him and express him rather than experiencing life and expressing you. Like, feelings aren't evil. Neither are cell phones. But they have their place. <laughs> Seriously. Even good things. Even things that we're thankful for have their place. And so if, if we try to be robots, well, then we're going to be at war within ourselves because we're denying feeling. But if we allow our feelings to be God instead of him, then we'll only be doing as good as we feel that we're doing. And then our life is in the hands of so many other people because so many other things can dictate my life rather than him and his truth and his love for me. So that was free just for the people that came to church on Memorial Day weekend. (laughs) Uh, How many of you guys, very first time? Anybody, very first time being here at Outreach Church? Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. We're genuinely excited that you're here, not because it's one more person sitting in a pew, but because we believe in what God does in and through this, this family of God, but we also believe in, in what he does through you coming and being part of us, and that you bring something, you know, that, that you may come here on a day when you're dry, but man, we should come here overflowing, guys. 
Like, if we're filled to the fullness of, of God, like, we should come overflowing, not barely making it every single week. There may be weeks where, where you have a bad week. There may be times where you had a, you know, you had a rough week or things happened in your life that, that you didn't like, want, or plan. Like, life has a way of doing that. And there may be times where you come in here and you just feel beat up. Those are amazing times to be refreshed and to be filled and to be poured into. But listen, what if every one of us came here every week broken and empty? All the while praising the Lord and saying that he's good. Come on, guys. Like, we should come overflowing. We should come excited and expectant. We should come filled. And we should have something to give. Because what I have, I give. If all I ever have is emptiness. Listen, if all I ever have is a problem, I have to start asking myself, why don't I ever have an answer? I'm not saying that we never face problems. What I'm saying is, is that we have to have an answer that's bigger than every problem that we face. Otherwise, we're only going to be doing as good as the lack of problems. Jesus is not our janitor that goes ahead of us and sweeps everything and makes sure there's no dirt. He's the one who comes even when there's dirt and washes us with the water of his word. I want to talk a little bit about that today. I, I had like three different directions. I was thinking about going during worship, but I think I settled in this. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So we've been talking about, for a while now, I, I thought it was going to be one message, and it's turned into quite a few. People are like, do you ever do series? Not purposely. <laughs> or not usually purposely. Every now and then we'll intentionally do one, but... Um, but this one kind of turned into that, and it, it was because I, I kept feeling the Lord putting in my heart, talking about that, that when they came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest command? And he said, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind, all your soul and all your mind, depending which passage you're reading. And, and he said, and the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And and so we started talking about the, the idea that there's a godly way to love myself. There has to be. Because he's called me to love others as I love myself. And he's called me to love others well, which means that he has full intention of me loving myself well. And, and, and so we, we've just been talking about kind of what that means, what it doesn't. And, and I, one of the verses that gets used a lot, whenever people start talking about loving self or loving yourself, right? People will throw out, well, you know, the Bible says that, that loving yourself leads to wickedness. You know, and, and one of the verses that gets thrown out is 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. How many of you guys believe that we really are living in the last days? Well, I, I know this. We're closer to the end today than we were yesterday. And, and if, if Peter said that this is the last days uh, two, a couple thousand years ago on the day of Pentecost, then we're at least in the last days. If they were 2,000 years ago, we're in the laster days. I don't know when it's going to wind down and end, but I do know this, it will. And if 2,000 years ago Peter said the sign of the Spirit of God being poured out on all flesh was a sign that it was the start of the last days, then that means a few thousand years later we're, we're in the last days. And so also realize that when Paul says realize that in the last days, he's writing this to someone who's alive at the time. He's writing this to Timothy. Timothy was the, the, the one that he said, think about this how perverted and selfish people had become so quickly. I mean, literally, Jesus has just died on the cross not many years before. The church is just being established. And, and when he's writing about Timothy in one place, he says, I have no one like him. 
because he preaches the gospel just because of loving people and loving the Lord, not out of selfish ambition. Like right away, it became a way for people to make a name for themselves rather than to make him known. It became people's ticket to something rather than the answer to someone. And so this Timothy, Paul's writing to, and he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, that even the words that would feel heavy to us, God, that, that we know that you don't speak to us to beat us down. You speak to us to lift us up. That you're not speaking to us to point out where we aren't, God. You're, you're speaking to us to call us into who we were meant to be. And so, Father, I pray that as I speak today, your spirit would speak through me, that, that I would be able to, to know and to say what you would have me to say, that, that it would be good seed, God, on good soil in our hearts, that it would produce fruit in our lives, that we would be changed, God, that we would never, ever leave hearing from you and ever be the same again. God, when you speak, darkness becomes light. When you speak, dust becomes a man. When you speak, a tree stands up tall in attention where there never was before. When you speak, the ocean knows its boundary. And so, Father, if you speak to us, we expect something will happen. Because your word does not return to you void without accomplishing that which you sent it forth to accomplish. And so, Father, we, we want to be those who would mix faith with the hearing of your word. God, not like the Israelites who in the, in the wilderness had the gospel preached to them, but it profited them nothing. For they didn't combine faith with the hearing of the word. God, we believe you when you speak. And so we put our faith in what you say. And we live according to your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I quickly mentioned this in, in one message a few weeks ago. But I, wanna, I just want to go over that again. Because I think that, that we have been for so long in so many circles. And it's, and, and it's the way the world works. And so when, how many of you guys know that when you have the world saying something and the church saying the same thing. It becomes a really powerful force in shaping the way that we see ourselves. It's, it's why we have to be really careful that when we're saying things, we're not just saying what is popular in the world. We're saying what the Lord is asking us to say. We're not just grabbing certain buzzwords that sound good and that everybody's saying in the moment, but that we're asking him, God, what would you say? What do you say? What would you have me to speak? And so for so long, there's been a, a, a form of the gospel that actually teaches us to hate ourselves and it uses verses like this to say, well, the Bible even says, if you love yourself, this is what happens. And the truth of the matter is that word love there doesn't mean love at all. It's, it's, it's not a great translation. Um, it was the best translation they could come up with. But did you realize that word there, phalautos, is the, it's only used one time in the whole New Testament? That's it. So anywhere else that you read or you hear anyone talking about love, it is never that word. Which means what? That has nothing to do with love. And that word there, philatos, the, the, the meaning of it in the Greek is fond of self or selfish. So Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, in the last days, people are going to become extremely selfish. 
People are going to become extremely self-centered. And because of this, he lists all those things that self-centeredness and selfishness leads us into, which is the main reason why when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, he said, listen, if any man would come after me, the first thing he must do. Not at some point in his life when he becomes a super Christian and he figures everything out. No, he says the first thing he's asked to do, if any man would come after me, is deny himself. Why? If I'm living self-centered, I can't follow Jesus. I can't. Because at some point, Jesus will lead me into something that I wouldn't choose for myself and may even lead me to lay my own life down for the sake of another person. And if I'm living selfish, there's no chance I'm going to do that. And so I will only follow Jesus as long as it serves my selfishness. The first time it costs me something that at the expense of myself, uh, that will be where the fork in the road comes. And I'll decide that I'm going to pursue myself and be a lover of myself rather than pursue Jesus and be a lover of him. That's what Paul is saying there. And so if the corrupt way to love ourselves or be fond of ourselves is in a selfish way, then the way that Jesus is calling us to love ourselves has to be in a selfless way. It can't be tied to selfishness, and so it has to be tied to something else. And the way that he says to love ourselves is he says to love God above all else. Why does he first say that? Because if we don't love God more than anything in this world, then whatever we love more than him is actually God. And if that's me, then I've become a God unto myself. And my life becomes about serving me rather than serving him. And I'm the one I check with before every decision I make rather than him. So when I make a decision, it's not, God, what are you saying and what does this look like to, to other people? It's how does this make me feel and what is in it for me? And, and, and so that word lover of self there doesn't mean love at all in the way that Jesus describes love. Like I said, it's only used one time in the whole New Testament and that's the only place that it's used. So whenever God was talking about love, whenever the Spirit of God was, was having men write about love, it had nothing to do with being selfish. It had everything to do with the kind of love that he loves us with, with which is selfless, which is self-sacrificing, which is laying itself down. Jesus said that greater love is not a man than this, that he would lay down his own life for another. That means I'm no longer the most important person in every conversation. That means I no longer have to check with me before doing the things that I feel like God's called me to do. The only thing I have to do is make sure that he is the one that's asking me to do it. And so I'm saying that because if, if we don't love him, then we can't love ourselves and love others the way he's called us to. But if we don't know that we're loved by him, we can't love him. It says that we love because he first loved us, which means what? My love for him is actually a response of believing and receiving the love that he has for me. And to the level that I actually believe that he loves me, I'll be able to love him. And to the way that I actually believe that he loves me, I'll be able to love others. That's why it's so important that we have this right, that, that we don't feel like we earned his love. Because if I feel like I earned his love by my good works, then I'll force others to earn my love by their good works. Because what I have, I give. And so if the way that I find favor with the Lord is not because of who I am in Christ, but because of what I do in my own strength, then I will force others to earn that same love for me. And I'll only love them as well as they're doing because I only feel loved as well as I'm doing. And so when, when, 
when Jesus says that, it's not just like a, 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 you know, he gives some random things in a random order. He's actually saying like the first thing, the most important thing, and the thing that makes everything else possible is that you love him with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your strength. And then the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so we started talking about what that looks like. And if you haven't been here for the last two or three weeks, A, you should have been. And B, you can listen to them. <laughs> B, you can find the messages online and listen to them. I promise you I've heard so many people talk about how it was speaking right to them and things that they've been dealing with. And I just know that it's a word for right now. And, and, and the reason why is because the enemy always works in the extremes, right? You know, it's like it, it, you, you, you find yourself in a religious bondage, and so you strain and strain and strain against that, and you get a revelation that pulls you out of the ditch, but rather than stopping where Jesus is, you just keep on swerving. You end up in the other ditch, and now you went from legalism to liberalism. You know, one tells you you're never good enough. The other tells you it doesn't matter. Jesus is in the middle saying, hey, what you do matters, but it's not what makes you good. I'm here. I'm in the middle. Like, it's actually when you understand who you are that the, that the things that you do will change. You changing the things that you do over here in legalism never make you anything. But, but you thinking that it doesn't matter what you do keeps you from actually living in the joy and the peace that I paid for you to have. The enemy is always in the extremes. He's, he's, never, he's never in the middle where Jesus is. People are like, well, following Jesus is extreme. It's like, no, Jesus is actually the standard. The extreme is a perversion on either end. He's the standard. He's the type and shadow. He's the firstborn among many brethren. He is our example in all things, which means that if I can find an example from Jesus, that's the best place for me to start, and it's probably where I should stop. Like it should start with him and end with him rather than, yeah, but, and giving us our, ourselves liberty to live outside of what Jesus modeled for us. And I don't say that harshly, like I'm saying that makes life simple when I'm no longer every day trying to figure out what does it look like. I have someone that I can look to as my example and I can see his example. I can literally open the word and see Jesus. And it says that we all with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. When I'm looking at him, I'm seeing who I was meant to become. It's why he died on a cross and set me free from sin. Not just so that I could live with him for eternity, but so that I could begin to live with him now. And be transformed now. Because he really is interested in my life becoming transformed into the image of his son. So he's committed to transforming me from glory to glory into the image of his son Jesus by the work of the spirit of God in my life. As I yield to the spirit of God, I become more like Jesus. And it's amazing to me that, that, that the word says from glory to glory. But yet we, like for, for so many of us, and I know for me in my own life even for a long time, glory was something that was always out there. It was a moving goalpost. And so, the, you know, the, today, there was no glory in today. But, man, I had hope for one day. And all of the glory was always put off to one day rather than realizing, like, no, you know what? Today has a glory in it because today I could be living in the answer to prayers that I prayed three years ago. And, and, and honestly, if we would start being more grateful for who he is and what he's done in our lives, we wouldn't have so much problem enjoying today. We would, we would be, rather than constantly fixed on, well, what's he going to do tomorrow? It's like, well, look, I can have an idea of what he's doing tomorrow, but that idea of what he's doing tomorrow shouldn't overshadow the joy for what he's doing today. Come on. Like, we would be a lot more joyful if we would wake up in the morning, thank you, Father, that you made me a son. Thank you, God, that, that you gave your life 
for mine to be redeemed. Thank you that I can know you. Not just know about you. Not just get milks. Not just get revelation that's processed by another person. But I can actually come to you and know you for myself. I don't need a person to teach me who you are. Others can teach me about you, but I can actually go to you and know you, and I can come boldly into your presence. That means I can come with confidence into your presence. When? Not on my best day. You know, he says, come boldly in your time of need and receive grace and mercy. That means the days that I need grace and mercy, I should have the same boldness coming into his presence as the days where I feel like I'm hitting a thousand and I'm just walking with Jesus and everything is going so well. But the problem is if we live by feeling, then we'll come boldly into his presence in the days that we're actually walking in all that he has for us, but we'll shy away from him in the days where we need grace and mercy. And now all of a sudden, my ability to come before him is not dictated on his goodness, it's on my actions. And so I'm only coming before him and receiving from him when I feel that I deserve it. Rather than understanding there was nothing I could do to make myself good enough to deserve his love before I was born again. There's nothing I'm doing that disqualifies me from his love now that I am. We can't have double jeopardy, you know, where it's like before I was born again, there was nothing I could do that made me worthy. I believe that, but now that I'm born again, I think everything that I do makes me unworthy. He doesn't love you less now that you're born again. He doesn't have less grace for you and less mercy for you now that you're born again. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. Meaning what? He has just as much mercy and grace for me today as he did yesterday, and tomorrow he will as he did today. But here's the thing. I'm not living just by his mercy, which means he doesn't give me what I deserve. I'm actually supposed to live according to his grace, which is to empower me into living the life that Jesus died for me to live. Grace is never an excuse to continue living in a way that's contrary to the pattern and model of Jesus. Grace is the empowering force of God that actually makes it possible for us to live the life that he called us to live. It's never me saying, well, you know, I know this and I know that and I know that. We'll do that sometimes if we're not careful. I, look, I'm just being honest. Like, like with good hearts and sincere hearts, please don't, don't hear anything I'm saying is like what's wrong with you. It's like, no, let's, let's look at what's right in him. And by that, everything that's wrong will be revealed. But if I'm just saying, like, well, I know this, and I know this, and I know this, but be really careful where you put the but in your conversations about God's grace. Because if I'm using grace as an excuse to not change and a reason why it's okay for me to not be transformed, rather than seeing it as the actual power for me to be transformed, I'll give myself permission to stay somewhere I was never meant to be. And the whole time I'm there, I'll fight conviction off as condemnation. Oh, yeah. Get behind me, Satan. It's like, hey, that's, that's actually not Satan. <laughs> that's the spirit of God convicting you of your righteousness, showing you that you were created for more than that. He's not pointing out who you're not and how bad you are. He's pointing out who you were made to be and how holy you're called to live. That must mean that there's a way that I can step into what he's showing me and step out of what I'm seeing. Or we can, you know, have an idea of love that doesn't really look like the love that Jesus showed his disciples. All right, now I'm going somewhere completely different. Really, I circled back to the very first thing. Think about this. Whenever we stop being authentically who he's made us to be, typically it's for one of two reasons. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you using some examples in the Bible of, of why this happens. So 
so Jesus is with, with his disciples, and he's got James and John with him, you know, the sons of thunder, and he's got, they're, they're going with him, and they're out evangelizing, right? And they come into a town, and Jesus preaches the gospel to them and talks about who he is and preaches the kingdom of God, and he does these things, and, and, and all of a sudden the people just reject him. How many times when we're doing the right thing do we get rejected and it changes us? Rather than letting us see it as a revelation of what's going on in them and being broken for them. See, when, when, when we do something wrong and people reject us, it hurts. But when we do something right and people reject us, it destroys us if we're not living in his love. And the reason why is because I actually wasn't doing it out of love. I was doing it for your response. And when the response doesn't come, then I'm destroyed because I was hoping that you would respond a certain way. Because I don't really love me, but if you would love me. Come on, wait, when, we, when, when, when James talks about not doing things out of selfish ambition, we always think of like the need for power and greed and, and position and all this stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is we can be selfishly ambitious.